Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market. Man. I only got to do one podcast with you guys last week. I was hit with the COVID. I'm still feeling kind of tired from the whole thing. And man, that stuff really wears you out at times. I didn't really have too bad of symptoms. I was hitting 103 at times. I guess some ways that might be a bad thing to be dealing with. And the chills and the feeling hot and all that stuff, that was definitely hitting me. It's the second time I've had it. First time I thought it was a breeze, but second time was a little bit harder. But nonetheless, I mean, it was about four days or so, Tuesday through Friday, and hit pretty hard, but I feel like I'm ready to go and get back at it with a full week of trading. Guys, we got an email today from a guy who has three good questions for me here. And I'm just going to start off by reading the email. His name, well, he talks about it in the email, so we'll go with it from there. He says, good morning, writing to you from North Carolina. Thank you for your continued content and support. I emailed you before about trading inverse ETS and you made a podcast about it. So thank you for that response. I was wondering if you could call me Bruce Lee Roy this time. So at first I was like, what the heck is Bruce Lee Roy? Then I realized it's a play on words, you know, Bruce Lee and then Leroy. So he's got the best of both worlds, man. Two greatest fighters of our time, Leroy Jenkins and Bruce Lee. Also, I'm still absorbing market updates for the SPY, the Qs, and the IWM on Patreon that you provide. Anytime you can throw in the VIX or T2108 analysis is greatly appreciated. I actually think I did that on today's update. So that's cool. Let's get to the questions. Do you ever hedge the long and short ETS against one another, especially around CPI reports, FOMC meetings, and job reports? For example, QLD versus QID or UPRO versus SDS or probably SPXU in that situation. Number two, I'm struggling with moving up stock losses after I'm already profiting on the trade. I continue to get knocked out of the trades in profit, then watch the ETF or stock surge higher again after the pullback. How do you handle moving up the stop losses and not killing your trades. Number three, lastly, I'm getting to the point where I really don't know whether to scratch my butt or wind my watch in this market. I know you did a podcast recently called The Frustrated Trader, so maybe I just need to listen to that one, but I had this question before I saw the podcast in my feed. Sincerely, Bruce Lee Roy. Good question there, and uh, we're going to answer all of them in this podcast. And what am I drinking in this podcast? Well, I am going to be having myself some J.J. Corey. It's an Irish whiskey. And I'll be drinking it throughout the podcast and then let you guys know my thoughts on it at the end of this episode. Also, make sure that you guys are signing up for Swing Trade in the Stock Market. You heard it mentioned in this email from Bruce Lee Roy. He signed up for it, but it's a really great way to support the podcast and also get all my stock market research each and every day. You're going to get updates on the big tech stocks, the market updates. You're going to get weekly updates on my watch list, both long and short, and some really good trade ideas that I come across each day. So check that out, swingtradeinthestockmarket.com. So as I'm drinking this JJ Corey, hoping that it's going to be a good one here, the number one question that he asks, or the first question that he asks, he says, do you ever hedge the long and short ETS against one another, especially around the CPI reports, FOMC meetings and job reports? No, I don't do that. Uh, I used to actually. And in fact, I think if you go back far enough, I'm talking about maybe a couple hundred episodes or so, I think I actually mentioned how I was doing it at that time. I think as we develop as traders, I think we start to learn or we evolve 
and we become better traders. And I think that was probably one area where I evolved into a better trader where I didn't really do the hedging as much. It's not that hedging makes you a bad trader. A lot of people do it. A lot of really good traders do it. I think just for me as a retail trader, it's not really in my wheelhouse to do it effectively. For instance, I used to trade like QLD. And then if I was getting nervous around a major news event, I would buy QID as well and then wait for the event to pass. And then I would close one of them out. Well, what I ended up just doing instead was if I wasn't comfortable with my exposure to the market around a major news event like CPI or FOMC or the jobs number or the PPI report or anything that was coming out that was going to have a big impact on the market, well, then I would just cut my exposure. Just, you know, so let's say I was 50% long on the market. If I don't like it now, basically all of that I do is I just cut back my position some. I can always add back later if I want to, but I'll cut it back. So let's say I have... 50% of my portfolio in five stocks. Let's say it's Apple, Amazon, Google, Netflix, and Microsoft. I think that's five. And I don't like what's going on. Maybe I'll close out Netflix and Google, or maybe I'll just take a third off of each one and essentially reduce my exposure from five positions to about three and a third position. So I'm lessening. And if I need to do more, then I need to do it over. Maybe I need to take half positions off of all of it and cut it down to the equivalent of two and a half full positions. So that's the main way that I go about doing that and the way that is probably the most effective for me. The problem with going like QID and QLD, it's not that you can't do it effectively or that it can't be pulled off, but it's easy to close the wrong one when you think you have the direction in hand. Like for instance, the FOMC statement, it's actually coming out tomorrow as of this podcast recording. And let's say I go into it with a QID position. I think the market's going to go down. But then as I get closer to it, I'm not quite sure. You know, I want to protect myself in the case that it goes ripping higher. So I get into a long position for QLD. So I got QID and I got QLD. Then the FOMC statement comes out and then the market rallies. And man, it's rallying really hard. I'm okay, we need to go ahead and close out the QID position and let this QLD start to work for me. And as it keeps going higher and higher and higher, I'm feeling pretty good about this. But then the presser comes out and he starts talking and he starts saying things to and answering reporters' questions that starts to make the market get a little bit nervous and it starts to come back down again. And then it just keeps going down and down and down. And then all of a sudden the QLD, I'm losing money on. And the QID that I closed out before that, I also lost money on that. So I've lost it on both of them. And the QLD and the QID, but even more so, like if you're doing SQQQ and TQQQ, which are three Xs. And for those who didn't know, when I was talking about QLD and QID, those are two X leveraged ETFs. QID goes opposite of the NASDAQ 100. QLD goes 2X in line with the NASDAQ 100. But then you can go SQQQ, which is a 3X short essentially on the NASDAQ 100. Or you can go TQQQ, which is essentially going long 3X on the NASDAQ 100. And so let's say I was using that and you're going into this FOMC. Well, let's say the NASDAQ moves one and a half percent in one direction or another. Well, then that's the equivalent of like a four and a half percent move on both of those. One's going down four and a half percent. One's going up four and a half percent. You're starting to talk about some big moves and it's going to be very difficult to not close out that position too early. And then when you're closing it out too early, you're exposing yourself to potentially closing out the wrong ETF. And that's definitely not what you want to do because you're just doubling your losses at that point. And by the way, I'm tasting some of this Irish whiskey here. Definitely one of the most interesting Irish whiskeys that I've had to date. It's got some like, I don't know, like a fruity cake flavor to it. I've, I don't know if I've ever had any kind of a whiskey that has that kind of a flavor profile to it, but it's definitely fruity and it's definitely got some cake flair, flavor to it. Even like cereal flavor, like a dry cereal type. I don't know what that's all about, but 
not bad. So to summarize this first question, because we're spending some time on it here. No, I don't use the ETFs to hedge against each other. There was a time where I did, and I would essentially wait for it, the market to make a move in one direction or the other. And once it did, then I would close out one. But there was times where I would close out the wrong one. And the more volatile of a ETF hedge that I was using, and if it was like SPXU trying to hedge against UPRO, holy cow. Talk about increasing the potential for closing out the wrong hedge, especially around very volatile periods. How many times have we seen the CPI report come out over the past year and it'll gap up and it'll sell off really hard after this massive gap higher that looks like, okay, everything's fine and dandy in the world. Inflation's tame. And then all of a sudden you think we're going to rally for the rest of the day. And as soon as the market opens, it sells off all day long instead. And we've seen where inflation comes in really hot. And instead of selling off all day long, it rallies. So those are really easy ways to be suckered into closing out the wrong hedge. And now you're taking double the losses. So for me, I'm going to cut the exposure that I have in a stock if I'm not comfortable going into a certain report or a certain news event or a market moving event. If I don't like how much exposure, I cut back until I am comfortable with it. Number two, this question here, he asks, I am struggling with moving up stop losses after I'm already profiting on the trade continue to get knocked out of the trades in profit, then watch the ETF stock surge higher again after the pullback. How do you handle moving up the stop losses and not killing your trades? So before commissions, it was a way more difficult because I was a younger trader. I was trading with smaller amounts as well. I couldn't be dividing my, my trades into as many subplots, right? I mean, I couldn't take like 10% or 20% or 30% of my trade off at any given time because all of a sudden, you're just adding more and more commissions. There was times where I was trading, and it was like $20 commissions, guys. You imagine that? I mean, $20 to get in, and then another 20 to get 25% taken off the table, and another 25%, another 25%, and another 25%. Good grief. You're talking about $100 in commissions to get in and out of a trade. So that definitely kept me from doing partial profits, right? So I would have to move my stop losses up a lot more aggressively because I didn't want to see a stock that I might be up 6 or 7% pull back and I'm all of a sudden going red and it just keeps going down, down, down. There's nothing worse than seeing a profitable trade, a very good and profitable trade, turn into a loser. So the way that you prevent that is by raising the stop losses. And while I always think that raising stop losses are important and keeping risk reward in your favor, what has helped me to not keep those stop losses too tight is by taking partial profits along the way, especially in a commissionless environment. It's much easier to do that. And so you don't have to be as aggressive with raising the stop losses when you're extracting capital and you're extracting profit from the trade along the way. Because by doing that, when you're taking and selling some of those shares, whether it's quarter percent or 10% or 33% or 50%, whatever it is, you're reducing your risk. And that's what we're always talking about, managing the risk, managing the risk. Partial profits is a function of managing the risk. And it makes it to where too. okay, maybe I can be a little bit more liberal with how wide I set my stop losses. Maybe I can put it below a second layer of support. So it has to break through two support levels before I get stopped out. And what I find is that the longer I'm in a trade and the more profits that I've taken, the wider my stop losses get. So that when I'm on that final 25% of my trade or 33% of my trade, I might be working with an eight to 10% stop loss because I don't have as much capital at stake and it gives me the flexibility to have a bit wider of a stop loss because I've already taken so many profits off the table. And so going back to Bruce Leroy's comment about getting, you know, stopped out on the pullbacks, well, that's why I like taking profits along the way so much because it doesn't force me to have to keep my stop loss always like 3% or 4%. It does initially, 
And I usually my stop loss is always the tightest at the very beginning when I first get into the stock. And then as the stock starts to appreciate in value, then I don't have to necessarily raise that stop loss as fast in order to manage the risk. Number three, he says, lastly, I'm getting to the point where I really don't know whether to scratch my butt <laughs> or wind my watch in this market. I think I do both sometimes, regardless if it's a good market or not. But I know you recently did a podcast on the frustrated trader, so maybe I just need to listen to that one. But I had this question before I saw the podcast. So the frustrated trader, if you haven't listened to that one, definitely worth going back to because there's going to be times in our trading where you're going to be frustrated. I feel like January was very frustrating. I watched the market go up like 10% or something like that. I think it was like the best January since 2001. And it, so many times it defied the odds. You would get these heavy sell-offs and you think, okay, we're, we're getting rejected at some key resistance here, especially that downtrend off of the January highs from 2022. We hit that and it looked like a solid rejection of price. And then the next day we just blow right through it. Those are very difficult periods of trading where you're trying to be mindful of the fact that there's some heavy resistance overhead and the market just blows through them anyways. It doesn't even care. And that's what we were dealing with January. It was just this constant bid underneath the market to where Really, the only selling that you ever saw was when there was a big seller that stepped in for a period of time to offload some shares. Outside of that, you had this constant bid in the market. It wasn't so much that people were buying the dip. They never stopped buying. And so when you got a seller on these very light volume days that we were seeing that was just constantly being paced by this nonstop buying of stocks, as soon as that seller stopped, the market went right back up to where it was before and even higher. So it can create a very frustrating trading environment because it doesn't ever seem like it gives you a good clear opportunity to ever get long on the market. And then like today where we just like surged into the month's end, you know, the next day is the FOMC statement. I'm not going to get long on something right before the FOMC statement when we're at like incredibly overbought levels. So without trying to get too into the technicals of everything and make it sound like I'm giving a market update, why I'm telling you all this stuff is because it leads to some frustrating trading environments. I didn't even have a good January of trading and that stinks because I had such a great 2022 and I was wanting to get off to a hot start, but I didn't. And I've had that happen before and it's not a big deal. I come back from it. You know, there's over 220 days, I think, of trading still left in the year. So I'm really not worried about it at all. But over the last 12 months, I've done great. I just always hate it when I kind of have a month to forget. And then it wasn't a bad month in terms of, oh man, this one I'm not going to soon recover from. No, I was just down a little bit. It wasn't even much. But a lot of that too is that the reason why I wasn't down more was because I was patient with my entries. I was patient with the setups. I didn't try to trade every single day or try to go after every single move. And I was patient and I was diligent because I knew I wasn't getting into situations that were right for me. Had I not done that, I probably would have been shorting the market a whole lot more in January because there was a lot of sell signals that just simply weren't confirming to the downside. And so I was able to avoid a lot of those unnecessary losses that I always talk about. And that's a good thing. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I'm glad to be back. I'm glad to be feeling better. Remember to check out swingtradingthestockmarket.com. Again, you're supporting this podcast. And... Make sure to keep sending me your questions. Ryan at shareplanner.com. I do read them. I mean, some of you guys are like on your second or third episode with me. So that's a good thing. That means you guys are asking solid questions. So keep sending me your questions. I do read them. I love them. And it keeps this podcast going because without them, there's no podcast. Also, make sure to leave me a five-star review because that really helps me expand my reach, expand the audience. And that means a lot as well to me. It's, it's a validation of my work too. And I feel like there's more people listening and stuff. So keep providing me with those five-star reviews. They do mean the world to me. Thank you guys and God bless. Oh, and before I forget, I got to tell you about this whiskey that I had here. Again, JJ Corey, not a bad Irish whiskey. Might be the best Irish whiskey I have had to date. 
Going on a scale of 0 to 10 right out of the gate, I want to give it because it does have some unique flavors to it. I would say like a 6-9. I think it was pretty good. I mean, probably the best Irish whiskey I've had today. It had a, like a real nice fruity cake flavor. Had some cereal, like a, um, I don't know. I wouldn't say it was Captain Crunch, but it was probably, what's that cereal growing up that we ate that was like kid-tested, mother-approved or something that the, the commercial would say? Pops. It's corn pops. It tastes like corn pops and cake. Cake and corn pops. <laughs> Not bad, right? Again, 6.9 I'm going to give it. It's probably the best one that I've had to date in terms of Irish whiskeys. That's JJ Corey. All right, now I can say thank you and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the SharePointer trading block where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to shareplanner.com slash trading block. That's www.shareplanner.com slash trading block. And follow me on SharePlanner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at brian at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.